Welcome to It's All in Your Head, a mental health podcast. My name is Eli Henry. I'm your host. Uh, Before we get started, as per usual, I want to remind you that if you or someone you love is going through a time of crisis, finding it hard to go on, you or they can always call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. You know, if you're in another country, Canada, anywhere else, Google uh, helplines, lifelines. There are so many, so many ways to get help. We live in such a wonderful time where, you know, it's so easy to get help and it's so accessible with the internet. So don't be afraid. It's always the right choice. Today is a show uh, I've been building up for a while. My guest is Jasmine Gillison. She's a friend of mine. She uh, was an actress, studied it, pursued it, and then decided she didn't want to do it anymore. She did the um, difficult thing and decide to stop and go to school and study of all things psychology. Now in the time since we recorded this podcast, she's maybe changing fields and, uh, thinking about different things to study, but, uh, that's part of the journey. Uh, Nevertheless, I wanted to have her on because I think it's so important to recognize that it is okay to quit sometimes, especially in the arts. We get led to believe that stopping or changing paths is quitting and giving up on your dreams, and it's such a horrible thing, but sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's important and necessary, and it's not a bad thing. It's actually the best thing for you. I'm not saying it's always the case, but it's not always the case to keep going, you know, and, and it's, it's important to know that we don't live in a black and white society. You know, especially when it comes to the arts. So I don't want to do too much talking about this uh, off the top because, you know, we're going to get into it. But uh, if any of you out there are questioning whether or not you want to stay in the arts, this is an important episode to listen to. And listen to it without a judgment, uh, a judgmental mind and just kind of accept what's going on. Because you know, obviously this is Jazz's view and this is her way of looking at it. Um, but if it speaks to you, great. And if you find things you're agreeing with, great. And if you find things that you're disagreeing with, even better, because then you can figure out why you disagree with them, and maybe that's what should keep you going. But, you know, if you're kind of teetering on the edge of whether you want to keep going or not and maybe change paths, uh, give it a listen and, and really be honest with yourself. So I'm not going to do any more blathering uh, until we obviously get into the episode. But, uh, yeah, give it a listen and... I don't know, maybe it'll be helpful. Or maybe it won't be. Whatever. All right, here we go. It's all in your head. Jazz, hello. Hi. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How you are doing? you? I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm doing okay today. Uh, so yeah, how, how are you doing today? Good? Pretty good, yeah. Thank you. Good. Good, good. It's funny, that question usually can be, uh, depending on the guest, very loaded. Uh-huh. You know, because they know the subject matter. So mm-hmm. they're like, how are you today? And then they'll just go on. <laughs> And I was joking with somebody about how, you know, it's just like you ask somebody with depression, how are you? And they'll go, good, 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 fine. Okay, well, you know, it's been hard. You know, it's just the longer you stay quiet, the longer that answer gets. Mm. Uh, but yes, as this is a podcast about mental health, uh, what do you have? Uh, depression um, for like 12 years and anxiety. Wonderful. How do you like that? Oh, it's 
it's great. It's a roller coaster. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what do you do? I mean, I know we're going to talk a little bit about what you're going into, but mm-hmm. give us some history of what you've done and what you're going into more now. Uh, like general life stuff? Well, like uh, artistically into current. Okay. Um, I was always an actor. I grew up. Um, my first stage appearance with was, my, was with my dad as a baby. Um, and that was what I always did. We grew up reading Shakespeare plays for fun and um, did theater all through high school and college. And that was that was the dream. That was what I always wanted to do. I wanted to go to drama school and be an actress. And um, as I got older, I kind of fell out of love with it. Um, and I couldn't quite figure out why why I wanted to do it and why I didn't enjoy it anymore. Um, and then uh, last year, late last year, um, after some soul searching and many years of doing pretty much nothing except for bartending, mm-hmm. um, I found that actually psychology was the thing that tied kind of everything in my life together and that was what interested me the most and drew me in and that's what I want to go into now. And you're going to school for that starting uh, last week. Last week, how's yes. it going? Good, thank you. It's uh, it's hard. Yeah, a it's, lot of reading. Yeah, it's been a long time since I did any kind of workload like this. Maybe do, five years. Do you feel like it's it's easier going into school as an adult? Oh my god, so much easier. Because you're actually genuinely like interested. Yeah, and also you're like prepared. Like I, you know, I work thirty hours a week and have to fit in a lot of stuff around that. I'm used to looking after myself in like high pressure situations, and I'm more like. I think psychologically ready for like the pressure that it puts on you. Mm. I look around the room and most of the kids have just graduated from college. They're like 18, fresh out of the box. Um, Graduating in high school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So shy and awkward and like I do would not want to be doing this at that age. It's funny because I know that I've been seeing, I've been reading that, you know, people taking a year off has become a lot more common. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, and I think, isn't that more common in Europe? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but in North America, it's not quite so common. I mean, if people actually do go to college, but, uh, you know, they go straight in. And I think that a year off is a really good thing because you get time to kind of be on your own, mature, Mm -hmm. be an adult, as opposed to going from one school to the next. Because high school is so, you know, is mandatory and Mm -hmm. so, you know, regimented. and, and, And going to college, it's a really different experience. I think you spend the first year, if you're, you know, I went straight to college from mm-hmm. high school you, you spend the first year learning that it's not high school yeah which is such a bad way to look at it because i think the kids go into it and they like i remember i went to film school i wanted to do that mm-hmm. and kids were skipping class all the time i'm like what are you paying for this <laughs> you're putting why would you skip that it's like buying a sandwich and throwing it in the garbage yeah anyway it just it, it, it so that's interesting to me uh and so you're from england i am uh london right I was born in London and I grew up in Liverpool. Liverpool, right. Um, have you noticed a difference just in terms of the way people talk about mental health and, and treat it in, in England versus America? Um, I have in LA, but as a general overall society, I think it's actually very similar. I think that um, we don't really talk about it in England we don't really talk about anything it's very much like step right. up a lip you kind of accept what you're given and move on um America is much more like you uh tell people how you're feeling about a situation or you complain or 
that kind of stuff but in terms of like actual mental health um I think the the attitude towards it is very similar it's something that you are supposed to get over as opposed to deal with yeah deal with yourself yeah yeah, yeah. so uh you know, you know I'm Canadian so I know a little bit about you know the, the Canadian med- uh, healthcare system versus American and in Canada it's one of those things where mental health is not covered under our um, healthcare, except for psychiatry. Like therapy is not covered, but psychiatry is. Because right. I think, I mean, there are a lot of similarities between Canada and Britain because we're like a child. Of, you know, we've all right. we still got the queen on our money. Yeah. So, uh, psychiatry being covered. I've co- talked about this with guests in previous episodes. Is this weird thing? Because it's almost like that's it's it's chemicals. We'll deal with it, which I think is really problematic because therapy to me is the most important thing, and medication is is if anything, a way to get you to a place yeah. where therapy is useful. And just throwing medication at somebody is a really bad thing if they're not getting appropriate help otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is it with you know the, the, the healthcare system in England? Is therapy covered? Is psychiatry covered? Like What is covered, what's not covered, and how difficult is it to get treatment? Um, so in England, we don't... Stuff isn't necessarily covered. I mean... When I left, I believe it's changed a little bit now, but um, two years ago, um, it's a nationalized health service, so it's socialized, so you don't actually have insurance, so what's covered is kind of different. Um, When I left, um, from the age of, like, as a young person from 18 to 25, the majority of your services are completely free. You can get sexual health, mental health, everything um, completely free of charge. Yeah, it's really wonderful. And um, and they're actually really easy to access and the wait times for appointments is not very long. Um, I went to a lot of uh, kind of free therapy sessions, which saying free makes it sound like they weren't as good, but they were. Well, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a big thing that people in America don't understand about right. what social... Because, I mean, yeah, I'm from Canada. People find it absurd, that idea that... You know, you break your arm, you go to the doctor, you get it, you get a cast, you get an x-ray, mm-hmm. and then you leave. Right. Or, sorry, breaking an arm is something that somebody in America would probably go to the doctor for. Uh-huh. You get a cold. Like, when I first moved here, I had, I got, somebody sneezed on me on the plane when I moved <laughs> to L.A., which was a, a fucking omen. But I, I got sick, and I went to the doctor pretty immediately, and I had to look at a menu for costs for, you know, for like a, not a cold for what turned out to be like, I need antibiotics or something, but still it was absurd to me. Mm-hmm. And what that's why it's crazy. Uh, even, you know, all the time I see people with like tape around their fingers or some makeshift. Like my guest I had on the podcast uh, the last episode, he had this thing in his hand and he was like, I don't have insurance and I think I've got carpal tunnel. It's been two weeks. I've been trying this. I've been trying that. And that's insane to me. Yeah. So yeah, when you say free, people in America tend to assume like, oh, it's free. It's like, no, well, you're paying for it through your taxes. Right. just it's just the thing you do and it's great so that's that's fantastic that that's covered under under that but you said it's, it's young people only so what happens after 25 well that's so that's you can do so without a referral from your doctor okay so you can go to um it's like a mental health center and you just see a counselor without having to explain why you need one can you see the same counselor over and over again? yeah so you can okay that's good yeah, yeah yeah um works the same way it's just like because you're a young person it's the cost not the cost um it's kind of subsidized Mm. so like and so I believe that as an adult 
you can say to your doctor which obviously a lot of young people aren't completely comfortable with being like I'm really suffering struggling right now um I think that I need to see a therapist and then they would refer you to somebody who um you can get people that would be on the NHS so that would be completely free of charge or you can go private and then you would pay them Mm. and did you stick with the NHS for the most part I did yeah yeah um so Let's talk about just your history with therapy and, and all that. You said you've had depression for 12 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were diagnosed 12 years ago, or is that when it started to really manifest? Uh, that's when it's when it started to really manifest and when it was um, diagnosed. Uh, and was your family relatively open about mental health? Like, was it easy for you to figure out you needed to go see a therapist, or was that something you kind of had to figure out on your own? That was something that came afterwards. Um, therapy was kind of forced upon me I was too young to kind of understand it and know that it was beneficial in my family it was very much like um we're all just very strong women mostly and kind of just even your father (laughs) my father wasn't really like he left when I was two so our interactions are very distant he's no he's not a very strong woman um Um, but I mean that would prompt uh, uh you know I would assume that would prompt a uh a very um, necessary uh, need for strength, right? Yeah. You know, like it, for your mother to have to raise you. Do you have siblings? Uh, I do, but they are eight years old. Okay. But still, but it's that idea of having to be, you know, running everything. Right. So I can understand where that would come from. That Did, did that manifest in any way of like if that strength in terms of... Of feeling the need to deal with it yourself? Yeah, that's always kind of always how I did things. It was very much like we suffer in silence and get through it and you just like deal with it Mm. on your own. So therapy then was forced upon you. Yeah, and it didn't last. It was was after my mum died and we went to family counselling, me and my grandmother, who do not get along. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So put into a room where neither of us wanted to talk about our feelings and neither of us are very good at it. Um, in a very kind of, you know, highly strung subject matter. That must be interesting, like culturally speaking, because I think that's hard for anybody. Mm. But in Britain, you know, like you said, it's that stiff upper lip, like, you know, no one talks. So, uh, look, I'm Jewish. We fight loudly and constantly. But it's it's one of those things where everyone in my family, I think it's a – if, if there's an issue, we deal with it immediately. It's like, you know, some people have that ability to go, we'll deal with it later. Uh-huh. We always, it's like, let's just deal with this now and fight so we can go to bed and be okay. Is there, a, like you and your grandmother not getting along, was there a lot of fighting or was it the kind of stuff that you held in and then it popped in this therapy thing? Like how does, how it does was, that manifest? It was both, but therapy didn't last for very long. So there was never like... I mean, between the two of us. So there was never any concrete progress made. But yeah, it's a little bit of both. We would fight a lot, but also um, I learned that I had to kind of bite my tongue and let stuff kind of not let it... Well, I didn't let it go, but to let it go and just accept that she was winning. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's different now, but like I was like 14 years old, so... And at that point, I don't think let it go is something you can understand. No. There's a really laissez-faire 14-year-old, then that's... (laughs) Uh, that's impressive. Well, it's funny. Like I, 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 the guest I had on the last episode, uh, Sean, he was saying that apparently when he was like eight years old, he came home from school and said to his mom, like, what's even the point? Like, why are we here? 
was like, that's that's a red flag when your eight-year-old is like basically spouting Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you came to L.A. two years ago? Yes. And was that for acting? Uh, no. No, so you made up your mind about that before coming out here. Yeah, I kind of, I stopped acting once I left uh, college, which is kind of senior year of high school um, in America, so 18. So, well, just break that down. So when does college start? So college is essentially, um, I believe it's junior and senior of high school, so 17, 18. We finish high school at 16, then we go to college, which is mm-hmm. the two years from uh, 16 to 18. And then we go to university, right. which is American college from 18 to 21 usually. Yeah, Canada has the distinction of, uh, uh, like we don't have junior high mm-hmm. in Canada, but I know that that's a thing out here. Uh, but we, well, yeah, what it is, is there's a difference between college and university is like a, a university is what Americans call college and a college in Canada is more akin to like a community college or a technical school. Mm-hmm. So that's, that gets confusing. I think it, it's weird. The little language, this is off topic, but it's weird <laughs> the little language things that people like I'll say, uh, Canadians refer to high school and, and elementary school grades as grade nine, grade 10, grade 11. Americans say ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. And if you say grade nine, they'll look at you like you're a lunatic. Uh-huh. I don't know if there's anything like that with, with England, but it's it's so funny how, how much that matters. But I, I can find other Canadians by that. Daisha, you know, some you know, friend of mutual friend of ours. I, uh, I figured out she was Canadian just because she said ninth grade. <laughs> It's just funny, those little, and another thing, and you'll know this as a bartender, you ever have anyone order a, a Ryan ginger? Actually, I haven't. Yeah, if somebody orders a Ryan ginger, they're Canadian. Oh. And then you go, whiskey ginger? And they'll go, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's these weird little things. So, uh, so then, it's interesting, so why LA then, if, if, if you're not going into acting? Because I feel like that's the only reason, you know, most people would wind up out here. That's true. Um... So my dad uh, is married to an American. Um, she, they met uh, when I was seven, and uh, she lived in L.A. Okay. Uh, they got married here, and then she moved to London with him. They lived there for 10 years, and then she moved back here, and he followed her two years later. So he's been here for six years now. Um, so do you have citizenship through, like, did he get citizenship? He has citizenship now. I'm a resident, so I have a green card. Okay. Um, and for as long as he's lived here, he was suggesting that I moved out here. And I was, um, at first, I didn't want to. Everyone that I knew was in England. Um, and it's a big, scary decision. And mm. uh, I'd never lived with my dad, so that was a big, big leap. Um, and I was young, and I had a boyfriend, and I wasn't ready. And... Um, it wasn't something that I wanted to do, but um, as I got older and I hit kind of 19 and I realized that I wasn't the place that I wanted to be in life, um, that I was still living with my grandmother and I was working full time, doing no acting, no idea what I was going to do. Um, and then they told me that uh, if I didn't get my green card by the time I turned 21, that that option would be taken off the table Right. because I got it as a dependent. Um, and so it kind of, it was like all or nothing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there wasn't enough to tie me in England to allow that opportunity to go away. Right. So I just kind of came out here. Nice. And, and how, how was it for you when you first came out here? Uh, it was a big adjustment. The whole move was 
kind of difficult. You moved in with your father, right? Yeah, uh, for two weeks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a lot of um, it was a lot of work to get here. A lot of money, a lot of organizing that I did alone because um, they both live out here, so they weren't able to help me with it. Um, mm. My grandparents and my grandmother and the rest of my family didn't know anything about it, so there was it was just me packed up all of all of the things that I've ever owned and shipped them over to the US uh, six weeks before I moved here and then lived out of my suitcase for three months I think it was and culturally speaking and just you know how was that for you because I know there was my level of culture shock moving here which all things considered shouldn't really be that much Mm -hmm. but you know people would be surprised at how different LA is from anywhere Really. Yeah. So well, did you like it? Did you hate it? Like, where, where, where did you find yourself? Um, at first, it was really difficult. The The difference in culture between uh, England and L.A. is huge. Um, just the amount that people wanted to know about me in their first interaction with me was so overwhelming. Um, Were you open to that at first? No. Or? Okay. Not not only so because is that something because you, you strike me as a very open person now now yeah <laughs> at least in in our interaction so like is that something you got used to and are okay with like do you think you grew in that sense or it was it was kind of a, a double edged sword kind of um, I adjusted to it and as I started dealing with my depression better it became easier for me I before it got really bad I was very open and very um, kind of allowing myself to be vulnerable but when I moved here was at the worst that I'd ever been uh in terms of my depression um and it was very difficult for me to interact with people in the most basic sense as opposed to like them asking me about my life and how I felt and like what I wanted to do with my life which was a really difficult question (laughs) to keep having Um, that's that's a very LA question oh yeah I think in any city if you could transition that like a question into an energy source mm-hmm. what are you up to now like what's what, what's next for you yeah in LA we would fuel the fucking planet it's uh-huh. insane how much that comes up yeah um so that, that that's why I think there's a lot of people out here with anxiety and depression that are like oh god stop you know that's it, it's just funny like I, I, I was talking to somebody about how I think this is one of the only places where you can answer the question of like how you been with you know life <laughs> and they'll go I understand yeah uh, I want to I want to get back into just the idea of, of you, you mentioned this a couple times just the soul search and the figuring out that you didn't want to be an actor because mm-hmm. you know I'm sure I'll say this in the introduction I'm gonna record later but you know who the hell knows uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because you know on this this podcast I interview a lot of people who are actively in the arts actively doing things and who have fought through their depression or use it to fuel their work. But it, it's interesting to me that, be, that, that you've recognized that you don't want to do it mm-hmm. and are actively moving beyond that. And it doesn't upset you. You don't feel like you've quit. And I think that's an important thing because there are a lot of people that feel like they have to keep going even though they don't necessarily like it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a weird feeling. So I, I want to know what got you to realize that and, and what I guess if you could sum up <laughs> or walk me through your crisis of faith at that age and what that was okay um I, I stopped doing it kind of by accident I had to work full-time once I left school because that was the only way 
But while I I was in uh, auditioning for drama schools, kind of like RADA, Lambda, the top um, schools for acting in, in the UK. And I did that for five years. Um, and when I had set out kind of my plan earlier in life, I had said, um, if I don't get into drama school within five years, then that's it. Um, in terms of going to drama school, because um, because five years of being rejected from your dream is is very harrowing. And how old were you when you set that goal? Uh, probably 13, 14. So that's a pretty grounded, realistic like thought for a 13-year-old. It's yeah. a pretty heavy decision. Yeah. So at, even at that age, were you like even a little bit skeptical of the idea? No. So, so why did you say five years? Why did you prepare yourself for rejection? Because five years seemed reasonable. Point? Um, five years was enough that I could say that I had tried hard enough, but long enough that I knew that I wouldn't be able to do it any further than that. And when I got to the fifth year, I did know. Mm. I was like, this is, this is the last time I could possibly put myself through this. So what was that audition process like? You know, what, what, what started to cue you to recognize that it wasn't for you? It wasn't the audition process that made me question acting. It was... It was the time when I wasn't doing it and wondering why it was that I was putting myself through this process. Why you were when, trying to do it. Yeah, why I was, I was sending myself, you know, back to these auditions year after year, spending hundreds of pounds trying to make this dream come true when every year they would ask me the same question, why do you want to be an actor? And I would always answer it with, because I love it, because I enjoy it, because it makes me feel good. And I knew that that wasn't a good enough answer because... We do the things that we love because they have a deeper meaning for us. Some kind of ulterior motive. We help people because it makes us feel good because we think that someone will do the same in return. Or I want to be a psychologist because I have mental health issues and I hope that by helping somebody else, they will go on to help others. Or I can make them happy so that I will feel happy in return. And I knew that just saying because I enjoyed it wasn't enough. Like there wasn't a d- that, that deeper meaning to you was was not there. It I just was a love of doing it, and it was fun. It was there, but I didn't know what it was. Right. Um, and so after that fifth year of auditioning, I realized that I had to make a choice. Would I continue to do this thing for the rest of my life, potentially ending up like my father at fifty-five, still doing? Uh, student films bit parts, yeah. and earning less money than I do working at a bar um, or was I going to give up which was a very difficult kind of thing to even consider but so I spent a long time thinking about trying to figure out why it was that I wanted to do it and it wasn't until I found the answer and it was kind of it was after I moved here so I was still this is a place where you get to see a lot of people trying to do that thing. Yeah. So it must really help at least the process of, of seeing what could be versus what could not be. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of a difficult thing to try and figure out. But it, in the end, kind of, I realized through various, like, psychological, like, therapy-based um, cognitive exercises that the reason I wanted to be an actor was so that I could make my dad proud of me. Because he was an actor. Right. And because right. I thought that that was what he wanted, and then he would love me, and then he wouldn't leave me again. And then... and I, Heavy. Heavy. Very heavy. And very yeah. kind of... Very sad. And I, f- I suddenly was, like, washed over with this kind of, like, sadness, but also, like, forgiveness. Because mm. I was like, oh, 
well, that's sad and that's really sweet, but that's just going to make you more sad. So the decision then to move to psychology, mm-hmm. was that did that come about through seeing a, a more therapists here and just kind of the process? Or was that after that moment of realizing that, where you kind of, did you feel like a blank slate? I did. I suddenly felt like unburdened. And then I, uh, I went to see what he calls himself a life coach and he's kind of like therapist, yoga teacher. Um, and kind so of, he's like the city of Los Angeles in, in, in one person. Yes. And he's, yeah. he's wonderful. And he was really His good. His arm is made of cocaine. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he's, um, so I turned up and he's like, what do you, what do you want? What do you want from this? Cause my dad had paid for like a six week session with him to try and help me through my depression. And, uh, is he a licensed therapist? Like, is he, or is he like just a life coach guy? He's a life coach guy. He studied in India for 20 years okay. with various, um, Buddhist. So, I mean, okay. So he, as far as life coaches go, he's one of the more legit. It's not like some guy yeah. that just made a website. No, no, no. Good. Um, I mean, I, you're smarter than that, but I just, yeah. you hear life coach thrown around so much that that's why I have to ask. And I was skeptical, but the, the good thing about my dad having already paid for the sessions was that it forced me to do it. Cause I'm good at, be, at doing stuff that I'm being forced to, but great. that's so great. Um, when I have to like, when I'm like, Oh, you know, I could probably not do this. I think that's depression. That, that, yeah. that's that's a big thing of how depression manifests so like, no doubt then again i pay for a gym membership and i fucking went back the last time i went back there they renovated a room and i was like where is everything <laughs> and then i got so scared i haven't been in months i gotta yes. stop paying for that anyway regardless um but that's, by the way that's my that's that's how depression manifests in my solution is <laughs> instead of i should really go to the gym i'm like i should stop paying for the gym mm. start taking drum lessons or some stupid shit anyway uh carry on so i told him what i was i said i don't know i don't know what i want i don't know what i want from this i don't know what i want from life and he was like oh okay well that sounds like that's what we should figure out um <laughs> i was like the big bucks. yeah probably yeah. um and so what we did instead of like trying to do this kind of crazy soul-searching journey to try and find out like what he, ayahuasca in the desert or something right yeah. what he calls is your calling um we just basically worked through some exercises to try and improve all of the other aspects of my life, feeling more secure in my relationships and my finances and, and learning to um, let go some of the stuff at work and uh, working on some of my anxiety. And then he gave me this kind of uh, pitch about what he believes your calling is. And it's... Um, something that you would do anyway, something that you find yourself thinking about when you're doing other things um, and something that comes naturally to you. And one day I was sat watching something on Netflix and I w- it was on my laptop and I was like, oh, I wonder what, and it, didn't, it wasn't even a thought. I just kind of typed in PhD in psychology and I looked at this like article and in my mind, I was like, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. And it felt so easy and so right and I went back to him the next week and and said I think that I want to get a PhD in psychology and he was like I think that you would be really good at that and I think that that's it which was crazy because it seems so easy it makes so much sense yeah so now you've been studying it for a week (laughs) a couple weeks um I mean I'm sure you've done your research Mm -hmm. before and like I do the same shit I, I read about psychology all the time and I mean I talk about it all the time mm-hmm. I talk about mental health all the time uh, I'm a hit at parties and 
I, 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 I actually just wrote this out last night because um, a friend of mine was just talking about her bipolar disorder and she wrote a blog about it and, mm-hmm. and how difficult it was. And I find that one of the most helpful things is talking about it and learning about it. Oh, yeah. Because the more you learn and the more you recognize how it manifests, the less powerful it becomes because then you're like, well, I know what's happening. Like, I've talked to somebody about panic attacks Mm -hmm. a a, a couple episodes ago. We were talking about panic attacks. And it was the idea of just at a certain point, you can kind of recognize what's happening through a panic attack and just Mm -hmm. go... Oh, this sucks. This is a bummer, but I gotta, I just gotta keep going. Or like, you know, just knowing how it's going and kind of taking that moment where you're in your brain going, huh? Interesting. Yeah. Fuck. But interesting. <laughs> so, have you found already, just in in this brief time of studying it, that it's been helpful? Yeah, but it's it's been helpful to me all through the process. Um, most of the journey through getting myself to the good place that I'm in right now has been kind of self-guided and been studying kind of psychology in a kind of roundabout way throughout the whole process of like trying to get myself kind of out of or through my depression. Um, But I do find it really helpful. I find that um, it's good to kind of be able to quantify what you're feeling and recognize that in yourself and be able to kind of name it. and then it kind of, like you say, it has less power over you. You can like recognize it and just kind of let it happen and not make yourself feel guilty, which makes you feel worse. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, I mean, the term cycles and loops comes up a lot. And mm-hmm. It's really what it is. And for anyone listening who doesn't have it, and well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to anybody listening, really. Mom, dad. Uh, but uh, yeah, for anyone that doesn't have it, I've said it before, but that's really the best way to understand what it is, what depression and anxiety is. It's these loops of thought. Like I've said often that depression, anxiety, their root feelings are natural feelings. Anyone should feel anxious or a little upset given the proper, uh, you know, circumstances that's mm-hmm. healthy. But uh, depression, anxiety is, is just loops of irrational or even rational thought, but just over and over again. Yeah. And you can't stop it. Like I found myself doing that yesterday. Like, you know, sometimes like there are hangovers. I, there's something I call emotional hangovers where you wake <laughs> up the next day and you're like, oh, I don't feel bad, but I feel like an idiot for this thing that I did. Oh, yeah. And then you loop yourself through that. And I think it was something stupid. Like I asked someone out on a date, which is totally fine. But of course, I'm a neurotic, anxiety, anxious person and Jewish. Like it's not. So I woke up the next day and I was like, you stupid idiot. Just kept going over and over. And I'm like, well, that's not healthy. And I recognize it's not healthy. And eventually it stopped. That's one of my worst ones too. Oh, jeez. Yeah, why did I say that? Oh my God, they must think I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I said yeah, that. I can never speak cut, to that person meanwhile, again. Meanwhile, cut to them and they're just like, I want a burrito. You know what right. I mean? It's not even a thing for them. Yeah. Or they're thinking that about something they did to somebody else. You yeah. Know? It, it, that's one of the, the best things I ever heard was just like, you know, no one's thinking about you nearly <laughs> as much as you're thinking about yourself. Because mm. think about how much you think about yourself versus how much you think about other people. That's what they're thinking about. Yeah. Uh, that being said, it is important to be grounded and recognize if you did do something really stupid, don't be afraid to address it because usually they'll go, oh, no. Because that's the other thing is like for a long time, I was afraid of addressing something I thought, like if I did something I thought was wrong, mm-hmm. I would be so afraid to say, did I do this? Well, I'm sorry for doing that. Because I was worried the person would say, it, like, 
it was like a lose-lose in my brain because I wanted them to say, no, don't worry about it. But then I was worried they'd say, no, don't worry about it. Why would you think that? Oh, my God. Right. You know what I mean? And it was so, But after a while, I would just say it and then go, oh, it's fine. No, don't worry about it. I was like, yeah, I figured. I just had to say it. And that you'd be surprised how great that is. Yeah. How well that works on both sides because the other person's like, no, don't even worry about it. I'm, you know, it's fine. And you're like, okay, great. I figured as much. I just had to deal with it for myself. And then you both carry on as if nothing happened. <laughs> You know, or like sometimes I've had it where, you know, I've, I've maybe been a little bit, you know, drunk, let's say, which can happen, as you know. Uh, and, you know, I would I would hit on somebody mm-hmm. and which is not like I, I've, I've learned that I'm never, never horrible, well, rarely horrible in that, the circumstances. But like I'm never like an asshole. Let's right. say. So if I hit on somebody, it was probably fine, maybe a little bit obnoxious, but probably fine. So I did that once. And then I apologized to the person because it was eating at me because I felt like a dick because it's like, I don't do that that way. I felt really bad. And they were like, unnecessary, but appreciated. And I was like, great. Good. Thank you. We dealt with it. And now we're fine. Whereas, you know, two years ago, a year ago, even maybe that would have happened and I never would have said anything. And I would have just, every time I saw them and like, hey, (laughs) you know, and then just like flushed my head in the toilet a bunch. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to just talk about therapy. Uh, are you seeing a therapist now? At the moment, no. I'm working on, through my insurance, getting one. Good, good, good. Uh, but in your time here, besides the, the uh, your kabuki medicine man, shaman <laughs> coach, uh, that, that's what I call my psychiatrist, by, by the way, my kabuki medicine man. Uh-huh. Uh, but besides him, have you seen anybody else out here? Uh, no. No? And uh, uh, I'm just curious, like, Therapy in England mm-hmm. versus, I mean, your experience with this guy here, is it different? Like in terms of their behavior, the cultural aspect, like even something as small as therapy, small. But you, you know what I mean? Like is, does, is it gone about in a different way? Uh, I don't know that I can speak for all therapists here. My Obviously my experience has been relatively limited, but I think here it's a little bit more open. I think, you know... Which is interesting for therapy. Yeah. But I think in England it was more looking at like a problem to solve. You know, it wasn't... I felt less like they were concerned about me as a person and more like it was a series of steps to go through. Mm. Which isn't a massive issue, but at least with, uh, with Robert, it was genuinely listened and was very good at like giving praise which I think is such a alien concept when you're from England at least um that kind of society yeah I think that I had gone through the majority of my life receiving relatively no praise and not like compliments but like you know you're good at this you do this well you 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 phrase that really eloquently not empty compliments I think that's a big genuine yeah and that was um really huge for me I think and a really I think a part of the therapy with him that I enjoyed was that he admitted that he wasn't perfect this wasn't like uh, a process that he was going through he would explain why he does what he does and why he thinks that the steps that he gave me would be helpful which was really good for me because very logical and if I don't see 
purpose in something i don't sometimes won't do it um and uh and he admitted his own mistakes you must ask why a lot i do ask why a lot yes (laughs) which is important yeah yeah the more you understand how it works the more you're like okay okay, sometimes though i mean i'm curious if you do this as well because it's something i do so there's there's some things like with with psych with psychology with therapy I'm always asking why because I'm curious to know how it works because mm. that helps me but with more like I, I hesitate to say mystical because fuck that but with more of like the like um, like meditation and things like that which I I've, I have not experienced my therapist has been telling me I have to do that and I really do it's really good. Yeah, I know. I've heard. The thing is, I can only imagine people listening to this because I've recorded all of these over the span of like a month. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be releasing these weekly for like 15 weeks. Mm-hmm. So people are going to be hearing me say, I really need to meditate for like months. <laughs> for months they're going to be hearing this. Oh, God. Anyway, point is, but for stuff like that, that's where I don't want to know. Like for certain like things that are more abstract, I don't, or, or even like, I guess I get to relate it more to art. With like mm. movies and some music and some things like that. That's where I just want to go in and see it and experience it first. And then maybe I'll ask why afterwards. Mm-hmm. But going in, like I, you never want to walk into a movie knowing the thesis statement behind the movie. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. did you see The Lobster? I did. Okay, so The Lobster, I feel like I didn't enjoy it as much because I knew that it was about modern dating. And I knew that kind of concept. And I went in, and like I appreciated it, and I was like, this guy made exactly the movie he wanted to make. Uh-huh. He did it very well. Everything, I can see, it, great, great work. But I didn't love it because I was like, partially I already saw the world that way, which mm. is kind of <laughs> fucked up. But it was one of those things where I knew the thesis. So it's, I would have loved to have asked why afterwards and read an essay afterwards. But hearing that before, do, do you know what I, does that make sense? I know what you mean, yeah. Is it hard to separate that for you from, from things, or, or do you apply why to everything i i do apply why to everything i think that i think critically about most things um but for me that is the joy i and that's kind of another reason why i think psychology came so easily as an answer is that i've always enjoyed stories like that where i can find that there's more meaning behind them and like a um, mental tinkerer you know yeah. those people that they like open a radio, see how it works, they figure out a car engine. Yeah, you do that with just yeah, and the, the stories <laughs> that I enjoy the most are the stories that are told about those kinds of things, and the more interesting the way like it's stories, told. Like, do you watch like films and, and the like? Yeah, or 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 an individual story, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like your story or my story, or a film or a book or um, a TV show, anything that's more centered in i find that when they're based in good psychology they're more realistic and they're more relatable going back to what you said about you know finding your calling and kind of having that aha moment Mm -hmm. um not the band aha (laughs) forgive me i i've done karaoke three times this week guys i got a problem uh anyway so take on me just don't worry about it everyone at home don't worry about it i'm fine uh but that aha moment for you like when you figured out that whole thing about psychology did you kind of almost be able to look back at your whole life and see these moments? Like in your acting, when, like the characters you like to portray and the plays you liked, were they all like that? Like yes. Did, was there, like, you could see all that looking back? Yeah. I, it was very much like all of a sudden could see that that was, that was it. When I, 
I always wanted to do uh, roles that were interesting, that were, um, I always did a lot of background work on my characters. So there's like a lot, like as a character, they were very solid and I knew why they were doing what they were doing. And um, that was really interesting to me. And the stories that I wanted to participate in were the ones that told something that appealed to me emotionally or were a story that I thought was important for other people to hear. Um, what, what were some of your favorite uh, uh, movies and plays and things growing up like th- that, that really hit that? That's a great question. Um, God, I was such a Shakespeare nerd that that was like five of those came into my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Shakespeare is really good for that. Uh, Hamlet and Othello are really interesting questions to ask yourself while you're watching them um there's so many yeah it, 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 it's hard i mean it's easier to generalize in terms of like character types and, and concepts yeah. i know because like i you know i can say in my life i just remember even as a, a little kid enjoying the movies where you could see struggle mm. and see someone going through it thing. yeah and it's funny that you mentioned that you you'd, at, you'd try to figure out why your characters are doing what they're doing. Because, I mean, you know, I'm an actor. I've been an actor since I was 11. Mm-hmm. I don't talk about it as much, like my process of acting, because I think it's kind of wanky sometimes to do that. But um, I really do believe, fundamentally, that acting and psychology are interlocked. Oh, completely. To be a good actor, you need to have a good understanding of psychology and how psychological things work, which is... I mean, there are some people which are very intuitive, and, you know, I'm very much like, whatever works for you, go for it. Mm-hmm. But I, I find that, um, like, I, I, I do audition coaching sometimes. Mm-hmm. And my approach is very different than other people because a lot of other people go, like, you know, in, go with intuition and figure it out. I will break shit down. Even if it's a dumb, like, comedy role, like, here's a guy, it's just for a sitcom. I'll break it down and try and figure out who this character is and why and, and what the motivation in terms of, like, psychologically who he is. So, like, I had an audition the other day, and I went in, and I was like, so is this guy indignant and stupid or just stupid? <laughs> you know what I mean? And those are the questions I'll ask and try and figure it out and break down, like, look, okay, why is this question? And, you know, read the whole script and read the stage script. Like, these are things I'll do because it, it's that psychological understanding. And if you can diagnose a character, mm-hmm. it's so helpful. I just remember this party trick that I used to do when we were in college at, like, I don't know, 16, 17 where um, I told my friend that I could uh, I could tell you everything about somebody just by looking at them. And she didn't believe me, and I did it for her, and then she brought me up to a group of her friends, and she, she was like, do the thing. Do the thing where you look at somebody and tell, tell them everything about themselves. And everyone was like, no, there's no way. And I went around this group of people and was like, you know, guessed at their fears and what they were most anxious about and... Uh, if they ran out of the room crying, you won. What kind of like <laughs> what kind of people they were like attracted to and all of that kind of stuff and like Did you have to talk to them a little bit first before figuring that out or you're going purely off of the cover of a book? I just went by the way that they carried themselves. Yeah, so that that like so that in that aha moment you're looking back on that shit going, Oh damn. Yeah. <laughs> oh damn. And I was like I was I was doing fucking party psychology. Yeah, and I'm I, like I've done that shit too. The worst is when I got it wrong, but I would still do it. I'd still try. But Sometimes look, I got it right, though. I would look back and be like, really? I, I, it took me 20 years to figure this out. Right, yeah. Exactly. And you're charging for it by the hour at the party. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, 
So I want, let's talk about medication. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you been on medication in your life? Uh, I am now, and for the first time. And you're not seeing a therapist when no. you're on medication. So you, yes. you're, you've got a doctor that just diagnosed it. Yes. Um, just a general physician? Yes. And is it some? do you see them frequently? Do you have a good relationship? Yeah, I think she's wonderful. Um, I've seen her. So you her. trust her to be able to guide you through that process? Yeah, but I also um, waited uh, for the point in my life where I trusted myself to be uh, ready and not dependent on them. Um, my concern with medication was always that uh, if it didn't work, that that was like the kind of last option and, oh my God, it would be so terrible and what do I do now? And I uh, found myself kind of at a really good place, but like my brain physically was still not quite all there. Mm. Um, and I thought, well, this is kind of the best time to try it. If it doesn't work, that's fine. I still feel very happy and very... Content. Yeah. yeah, ready to accept that challenge without it affecting my life. Which is, it, it's an interesting way to go about it because, I mean, for me, medication, when I first started seeing a therapist, um, I guess like three years, two and a half, three years ago, I uh, didn't want to take meds. I was not going to take meds. I didn't want to be dependent. I didn't want to do that whole thing. And I started seeing a therapist, and it was working, but I was still, like, in a really bad place. And, like, the kind of bad place where, like, I was, you know, I wouldn't shower for days at a time. Mm-hmm. I'd be, I'd go out in shorts and sandals and just, like, from, I wouldn't do laundry and just wear the same. Like, I was just, and somehow I got a girlfriend in that process, which is absurd to me. <laughs> um at the time because I was so but I, you know now I realized I was just so like fuck it look at this is me that of course that's when that was going to happen but it was this bizarre thing but I, I remember seeing the therapist and just eventually he was like you know you might want to consider medication so I set up a one with a psychiatrist and I was worried about it changing and I started it and it was immediately helpful mm-hmm. but that was one of those things where it got me to that it leveled me out to a place where the therapy could really take root mm-hmm. because I was doing this therapy and it was helpful, but I was still like so despondent, but I needed to be at that place. And that's what the medication did. Mm-hmm. And then as time has gone on, I recently started a new, med- new medication, Lexapro. Uh, is it, what, what did you start? Effexor. Effexor. Similar. It's like SSRI stuff, right? Uh, SSRNIs. Okay. So that's, so it's for anxiety and depression. Yeah. That's what mine is as well which I've noticed recently has been working great because I started it a few weeks ago. So now it's when it's kicking in. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's when it's kicking in, he said, <laughs> uh, to a person from the country that invented the language. Anyway, uh, so, uh, but yeah, I had this thing where uh, with this new one, because it was such a different type of medication, I was on Wellbutrin, which is a drug you can just stop. <laughs> and it won't, and it, like that's what my psychiatrist said, if it stops working, just stop. But... Lexapro effects or you need to wean yourself off it. Well, Butrin, you need to stop it. But this one, I, I had just gotten a job, like this big job mm-hmm. I just finished working on. And I didn't want to start it until after the job because they didn't want to fuck with me on the job. Mm-hmm. But I was going through a really bad place. So two weeks into the job, I was like, you know, what am I worried about? I'm worried about this drug affecting me in a way that'll make me crazy at work. But I'm already crazy at work. I'm already feeling like I'm being... A, crazy at work. Of course I wasn't. That's just how depression manifests, anxiety manifests. You think you're problematic and you're fine. But, uh, or you're not, but either way. So I started taking it um, to balance me out. So it's different with everybody. Mm-hmm. 
And I've said before on this podcast that it's like a snowflake. Everyone thinks they're a snowflake when it comes to mental health. They think, oh, I, you wouldn't understand. My depression does this. But we're not a snowflake. The more I talk to people, the more I'm like, yeah, I do that too. Yeah. Or, uh, but medication is where I do think you're a snowflake because everyone is different in the chemicals and the way it works. Lexapro could work for me. It could make you think you're a, a count from, 19, you know, from the 1900s. I, that's... I doubt that would ever happen, but you know what I mean. I also think that what you want to get from medication is very different depending on who you are as well. Mm. You know, whether or not you want to feel more balanced or when you want, whether you want uppers or like you want something that relaxes you, I think that that's also dependent There's on your... There's a fear, though, of medication. Which is totally understandable. It is, but I do start to wonder how much of it comes from kind of a boogeyman stigma. Because in myself, like the more I hear people get extremely skeptical of medication, the more I hear it sound kind of like anti-vaccine shit. Mm. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, it's science and it's this. I know it's, uh, you got to work through it and you got to, you know, work with a doctor. But I, I, I think that stigma of just like, because you hear that, that, that thing people will say like, oh, it's maybe he's not taking his pills. It's just a very common thing in language. Yeah. I, I just wonder about that fear. Cause I, I, but then at the same time, there is stuff to be understandably afraid of about starting medication, or at least skeptical of. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's... I think there's a difficulty that um, we think that taking medication means that we're less of who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, I kind of compare it to LASIK, um, which I got right. last year. Um, I'm envious. I can't get it. I you kind of... <laughs> it's kind of comparable and like you know I've always gone with glasses you know who am I without my glasses on people won't recognize me it's a big risk what if something goes wrong and I'm blind you know which are understandable fears kind of irrational it's a good step to take and unless you have eyes like mine in which it is an irrational fear right I asked the doctor like do you think I can get LASIK he's like oh god no 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 but I mean generally. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm a rare case where my, I'm blind as hell. <laughs> but on that same note, I mean, I started wearing contact lenses at the beginning of this year. I've mm-hmm. been wearing them every day. I just got new glasses because my eyes change with contacts. Mm-hmm. And I wore them today in the morning when I was walking the dog, and I felt weird. I felt like a different person. Yeah. It's bizarre. But and I've worn glasses since I was six months old. Yeah. But it doesn't fundamentally change who you are, and I think it's that medication for whatever you use it for, birth control, mental health, I get headaches, you take uh, Advil or Tylenol, you know? It's headaches like, aren't a part of who you are. Exactly. And neither is, like, your short-sightedness or your, like, brain's ability to be cognitive in the way that a, quote-unquote, normal brain mm-hmm. should be. And you, if there's a problem with your body, you take medication if that's something that you feel is going to benefit you. Exactly. And I think that we need to stop acting like our brains are any different. Well, it goes back to the snowflake thing. It's like, I I, I mean, I I had an idea for something a while ago, and I think I may have mentioned it on this podcast, but an idea for like a film, it was like one of those ideas for a film that's like a funny idea, but unless you're Charlie Kaufman, you probably can't write it properly. But the idea was like a guy goes to a doctor and and tells him all his problems, and the guy's like, well, uh, you have... uh, Eli Henry disorder. It's like, wait, what? That's me. I'm like, yes, we've never seen it before in anybody else. You have it. It's a mental condition. We have a pill and it can get rid of it. And then there's a guy struggling with whether or not he takes it. It's that idea that everyone has that thing where they're like, yeah, mentally speaking, it's like, this is who I am. Right. It's like, no, it's not. You are who you are, but this is a 
part of who you are, sure, but it doesn't make you who you are. And it's not like it's going to go away and you're going to all of a sudden, like, it's not like when you, those people that have a stroke and wake up speaking Finnish, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it, it's, if anything, it strengthens who you are and it makes you feel better. It makes you feel like who you are at your best, ideally. Um, at least that's the way my psychiatrist put it, my kabuki medicine man. Uh, I, I want to start to wrap up, so i got a few quick questions. Okay. Everyone has said they're difficult quick questions, but try your best. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received on how to deal with this stuff? Um, it doesn't matter as much as you think it matters. Yeah, that's pretty good. Rick gave me that advice. Oh, yeah, Rick. The Fellow guy bartender. Who I, uh, who I was referring to as taping his fingers together when he broke them. Right. Um, like, why wouldn't you go to the doctor about that, Rick? Uh, it's fine. That's insane to anyone not from this country. Which sounds, the, the advice sounds like one of those things that people say and you're like, oh, but it does matter. And then you, you, you ask, you tell yourself it over and over again. You're like, oh my God, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I don't serve these people immediately. It doesn't matter if I don't do my washing for five days. I don't have to make myself feel guilty about everything. Yeah, and it's recognizing what should matter. Of Like, I didn't pay rent. That matters. Right. I don't have enough money. That matters. Like, these are things you're allowed to get anxious about. But yeah, like, you know, don't beat yourself up if you haven't right. done the dishes or something. Like, that's those are those irrational things. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the worst advice you've ever received on this stuff? Uh, God, there's so much of it <laughs> just floating around. When I was a kid, um, and I got like when I had panic attacks as a child, my dad would, um, my dad's way of giving me advice was to say, um, the show goes on. Mm-hmm. His way of kind of saying, um, just get on with it, get over it. That was really terrible that's, advice. That's tough. I mean, I find that bad advice and good advice can often be the same. It just depends where it's coming from and how it's coming. Yeah, and what it's about. Because, like, the show goes on, this too shall pass, I think is great advice. But in certain circumstances, it's like, well, but fucking, yeah, I know, you know. But... I also think get over it is a really terrible way of saying it. Exactly. You know, it's... Exactly. Yeah. Uh, do you think that all people in the arts are crazy to some degree? <laughs> I think all people are crazy to some degree. Interesting. Interesting. That that answer is that question is always 50/50 like I have some people that are definitively like yes and some people that are like I don't know. No, I don't think so. Uh I'm curious to know how that answer changes for you as you go through school cuz I I'm just curious. Uh and finally uh, oh, not, not finally. Sorry, I always say finally, but I've got two more questions. What advice do you have for, for people trying to get into the arts or, or maybe who are in the arts struggling with this and maybe struggling with whether or not they do want to keep going? Um, the best advice I think that I've given for this and that I hope that I continue to give for the rest of my life is that um, your worth as a person is not defined by what you can contribute. Your happiness, your life is not dependent on what you can fulfill with it and what you give to others. I think that's really important that you're not measuring your success or your life by your accomplishments or your achievements. That's great advice. That that's the lesson I learned when I first came out to LA, because I moved out here and I my entire life equated success to happiness. Like Mm -hmm. I'll be successful in my career, I'll be happy. And then I came here and I got like a, a couple shows right away and I was by all means successful pretty quickly 
more at least more successful than I'd ever been in my career. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, I was like, why am I so unhappy? And I had to learn that. So now I'm on the quest to find happiness. And I have no idea where it is, but I'm, I'm working on it. You uh, should meditate. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> I know. Fucking 14 weeks of me saying, I know. Uh, all right. Here is my final question. What do you think we can do just as individuals to help fix this in society, help better mental health as a cause? I think if you're able to, um, if it's safe for you and it's, and you feel able to, I think that talking about it is the most important thing about being open with, uh, what you're struggling with is really important. I think that the more that we talk about it, the less stigmatized it'll become and the more comfortable people will be sharing with other people as well. And it can become more of a conversation than people struggling on their own in the dark. I agree. And I, I, I just want to say that that popped for some reason, a metaphor just popped into my head that I, I really like. It's kind of like um, if you hang out with one guy a lot or just one person a lot and everyone has a friend like this and you hang out with them all the time and you're like, oh, what is with this? Like, I, you know, why are we hanging out? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> and then you bring them out, you introduce them to your friends and then your friends are like, dude, that guy's an asshole. <laughs> like, yeah, he is. That's, that's what it's like struggling with mental health quietly mm-hmm. you got this little voice in your head that's being a dick being a problem and then you start talking about it and the more you start talking about it, the more people are like that's not right you don't, don't you know no, you don't have to worry about it and then we're like oh yeah fuck you ted or whoever it is and then it's that's it the only ted i know is my cousin he's wonderful i'm not i'm not shitting on any teds i know some other teds but that's the closest anyway the point is thank you for being here you're welcome thank you for uh, having me this has been great is there i don't know if you want to be contacted online via twitter or anything but if there's anything you want to promote uh, or do you want to be left the hell alone <laughs> um i don't i don't even know what my twitter handle is um <laughs> do you use it i haven't used it in a long time so i, then let's I not look at it people. well i have um i don't know if people for whatever reason wanted to speak to me about anything then that i'd be comfortable with that um my instagram is ginger jazz with a z at the end um just j-a-z yes okay um ginger like because that's what my hair color is um yeah and i don't know great if you yeah so if you'd like to speak to jazz for any reason send her a direct message on instagram yeah uh great thanks so much you're welcome all right that's it. Jasmine Gillison, thank you for being on the show. Uh, I really, I, I mean, like I said, I've been building that episode up for a while. It was important to me to get it out there, and I really hope it's helpful to you out there, somebody, um, because it, it's a tough thing. It's a really interesting choice to make and a really different, you know, thing to deal with in the arts that we don't deal with in, in many other circumstances. Now, Here's something else we need to address. Uh, this was the last interview I did in my initial block of interviews. I did 11 interviews in a chunk of time, and then I put them all online. So that's that. Now, every episode from here on out is uh, recorded recently. We've caught up. So the times I repeat myself and the times I reference things, it's going to start catching up and hopefully be less repetitive in that respect. Um it's going to get interesting. I don't know. I'm curious to see how it goes because I feel like when I was recording these episodes in such a small span of time, it was 
helpful to me because it was structure for my life. I was doing things. I was talking to people every week, multiple times a week. Uh, and then I went a long time without doing it. And it really affected me. I you know, mentioned a couple episodes ago, I was going through some stuff. I'm still going through some stuff. Um, so it's going to be interesting for me to see how these progress. Next episode we have, I recorded a couple weeks ago with my friend Casey Coop. She is an extremely talented comedian and writer, and she is also a stripper. And we're going to talk about that because I think that's fascinating, um, you know, how that affects mental health and, and, and what's worse, being a comedian or a stripper. The answer might surprise you, or it won't. Um, depends how much you think about that stuff. But yeah, you know, this is where we're at. So if you are in the arts for what it's worth and you'd be interested in being on a podcast, reach out. I'm looking for guests um, to try and keep up with the uh, pace that I've set weekly episodes but uh yeah continue to listen find me on uh twitter at all in your head pod instagram it's all in your head podcast gmail is it's all in your head podcast at gmail.com facebook it's all in your head there are so many places to be all in your head find us and we will see you next week with casey coop thanks for listening it's all in your head